Thanks for checking out this sermon from Redemption Church in Seattle, Washington, where we are enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. If you'd like to learn more about Redemption, you can go to redemptionseattle.com. Or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday here in Green Lake. Hey, welcome again to Redemption Church. My name is Drew, and I'm another one of the pastors here, and very glad to be with you on this morning here in Green Lake. If you've been with us the past couple weeks, we have been going through this series we've just called Sent, as we as pastors and and as a church have been praying, where God would you be leading us? And we absolutely believe with great conviction that God is, is leading us to continue to grow inwardly, of course, but to also look outwardly. And so we spent the first week really trying to just prepare our hearts. We looked through Mary and Martha and Jesus' encounter and, and this idea of really, do we, do we have time? Do we make time? Is it a priority for us to spend time with God? Because if we don't do that um, individually and with the corporate body, with the local church, then how can we get to God's heart? And if we don't get to God's heart, then really the rest of this, uh, where does it go? And then last week, we, we really jumped in, and, and Alex preached a, a fantastic message. I hope you were encouraged by looking at John three sixteen and 17, the Father sending the Son, Jesus. You can't get to the gospel any quicker than that. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. This amazing news that Jesus has come, that God de- decided not to just leave us in our sin, in our state. He decided not to simply allow us to be separated from him forever, but instead he sent his Son, Jesus, so that we could be reconciled through him. And today, what we're going to look at is, as Jesus has come, and as Jesus has given his life, Jesus sends the Spirit. It was uh, the year 2007, and eBay was all the rage. Maybe you remember. Uh, I thought that'd get more of a laugh. Uh, I guess it still is the rage. You're like, it's still the rage. eBay is fantastic. Um, I was newly married. Laura and I moved to Atlanta, and being young and 23 and not having common sense quite yet, I decided the best thing for us to do with the money we don't have uh, is to fulfill one of my high school dreams, and I'm going to get on eBay, and I'm going to purchase a very old vehicle hundreds of miles away, believing that this is a good, sound investment, um, which it was not. And so uh, Laura, sick that day, I told her, I want a car on eBay. I want a a 65 Mustang on eBay. And we're driving two and a half hours to Savannah, Georgia to pick this up. And she couldn't be more not excited. And we went, and this car was not as um, shown on eBay. I'm not even sure it was the same vehicle. But we were there, and I wasn't going back home without it, and so I bought it. And on the way, it blew out a couple tires, and I was scared that this was going to become a pattern of bad decision-making for the rest of my life. But we got back with this car, and it got into working order, uh, partially because the guy that we lived next to, who looked like a dead ringer for Colonel Sanders, had actually worked for Ford Motor Company building the Mustangs in the 60s. What luck was that? He would make fun of me because I had no idea what I was doing. I was in over my head, but he was also helpful and I appreciated him. I didn't know a lot about cars, um, but one day this car was now drivable, and I was on the highway. Um, if you've been to Atlanta, it's called 85, and uh, there's, a, there's an area called Spaghetti Junction because it's a, it's a nightmare, and it's insane, and it's like children built this highway. And uh, I'm driving, and I'm fine, but um, 
I, I feel like I'm having to push down on the brake a little bit more than usual. Probably not a big deal. I get off the highway. I pull into my neighborhood. <laughs> I remember this. I pull into my neighborhood, and uh, our house is off to the right, and I press on the brakes, and, and I don't slow down, <laughs> and, and uh, they aren't quite working, and so I keep pressing on the brakes, and then I start panicking because the car's not slowing down, and it's obvious that the brakes aren't working, and my neighbor was outside, and so you can imagine his joy in watching me as I slowly drive by my driveway because I can't stop. And luckily, our road shifts up. And so I drove around and I said, if I can just make it into someone else's driveway that's taller, then I will be able to go in reverse. And then I will slowly accelerate until I get to my driveway. Somehow this happened and I didn't knock down any mailboxes. And I made it back to my driveway. And as I got up there, I just slammed the car into drive or into park. Um, and my neighbor laughed at me. I say all of this to you to say that before that time, I didn't really appreciate the power of brakes. It wasn't something that I thought about often. In fact, I never thought about brakes or how necessary they were, how important they, they were to a car and to safety. I had uh, terrifying thoughts of what would have happened if I'd have <laughs> ran out of brake fluid on the highway going 60 miles an hour. It would have been horrible. And I've thought about brakes often since then. It's very important to me uh, to make sure that the brakes work in all of my vehicles and your vehicles. If need a brake check, let me know. I share this story with you in all, in all genuineness because as I've been preparing this week, um, as we look at Jesus sending the Holy Spirit, I've been incredibly burdened and, and have had a heavy weight in realizing that I oftentimes do not consider the Holy Spirit in the way that I should. I do not think about the Holy Spirit as often as I should. I do not realize what an important part the Holy Spirit plays in my life and everything going on around me. In our neighborhoods, in our city right now, in this room right now, in our world, I often look past or I look by and I realize this week that's a major issue. And maybe you can relate. I think a lot of us can relate. And so my hope this morning as we look at this passage in John chapter 16 is that no matter where we find ourselves this morning, we would consider and sit with how critically important the Holy Spirit is in the life, in our life individually, in the life of the church and in our world. That God might give us fresh eyes, even if this is a familiar passage, to have hearts that are open to receiving the Holy Spirit in a sense of where we would welcome him in, where we would invite him in, and where we would come to a place of reliance. That's really the big theme for today is, is reliance. What does that look like? Why is that so important, especially when it relates to Jesus sending the Spirit? So if you would, um, you can turn here in your Bible or on your phone, but we're going to be in John chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 4. Excuse me. We're going to be in John chapter 16, starting in verse. Did somebody speak to me? Oh, cool. Man, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I've been on a lot of cold meds this week. And so I just want to make sure that uh, I'm not hearing things. I promise, though, I did not write this sermon on cold meds. 
at least not in its entirety. John chapter 16, and we are going to start in verse 4. Here we go. So Jesus says this, and read along with me, the middle of verse 4. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going, but because I've said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. So a little context here. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning. It means that we need to look back a little bit. And so if you look at John chapter 15 and then into 16, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure to the cross. And it's come to this point after three years of doing ministry with Jesus that Jesus brings his disciples and really sits them down and says, here's the deal. For you following me, believing in me, trusting in me, the world is not going to like it. They're going to hate you. They're going to reject you. In fact, there will be people who put you to death and put other believers to death because they think they are doing God's work. And why does he say these things? Because he doesn't want them to turn away. He says that I say these things to you so that you don't turn away, so that you know this is coming. Because what I have in front of me, you won't understand. You, you won't see the full picture of it. What, what Jesus sees in front of him is the cross, an absolutely necessary cross, not for his forgiveness because he's absolutely perfect, but for our forgiveness, necessary to his mission. What the disciples see is sorrow. What the disciples feel is, is their best friend leaving, saying that I'm no longer going to be with you. Being here for six years in Seattle, relationally, one of the most challenging things, the most challenging, I would say, is when people move, when they leave. I'm sure you've experienced this in some way or another, especially in a city like ours. It's a big city, and people do come, and they live, and they move, and that's, that's what happens, and that's sort of a, a natural rhythm in a sense. It's different than some other areas where people live there all their lives, and you know that person you know for 50 years, and, and, and yes, I pray that we have relationships that are, that are deep, but the reality is that sometimes people for jobs and family and all sorts of things, they, they move, and the closer that relationship is, the harder it is. It brings sorrow. It brings sadness. The thought of not seeing that person, the thought of not knowing when you're going to see that person again. Will I see you again? It fills our hearts in a way that it should because we're relational beings. If you have a relationship with someone for a long time and they say, hey, I'm moving, you shouldn't just be this. Well, great. See you later. That's, that's relational incompetence. That's, something's missing there. It, it does. It weighs on us. It brings us to tears. It, it tears at us because we love that person. And that's where the disciples are here. As Jesus says this, their mind are scattered. That's why Jesus says, you don't even ask where I'm going. Because as I say these things, your heart, they're completely filled with sorrow. All you're thinking is that I'm not going to be with you. But nevertheless, in verse 7, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's really interesting, and it's really hard to believe, especially for the disciples here, that it's to their advantage at all that Jesus would go away. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. So how is Jesus able to tell them in truthfulness that it's to your advantage that I would go away. This can only be true if the helper that Jesus talks about is equal to Jesus, is equally good, is equally perfect, is equally God. 
That's the only way that this can be true because there is no one else like Jesus. There is no other. And in John 15, what we know is that this helper that Jesus talks about is the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, that we have God the Father, that we have God the Son, and that we have the Holy Spirit. And this is critically important for us to know this morning as we walk through this passage, is that Jesus makes this statement, not I'm going to send one and he's going he's to be okay. And I'm going to send him my backup. I got to go, but there's a backup coming. No, 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 that's not what Jesus says at all. He goes so far as to say that it's actually to your advantage, which is interesting. Not even that it's, it's good, but literally, it's to your advantage that I go away so that you receive this helper, the Holy Spirit, for when I go, he's going to be sent to you. As I said, in front of Jesus is the cross, and Jesus knows that when he gives his life, it will open up the opportunity, this opportunity for grace to come in in a, in a new way to where there's no more law, there's no more, the law's been fulfilled through Jesus, the, the law is there, but not in the sense of, okay, we're going, to, we're going through these ceremonial um, practices, but now Jesus comes and he fulfills the law, and, and as he does that, he offers redemption, and so now the Holy Spirit can come, and they don't see this, but even to their advantage, we know that Jesus, when he came, he, confined, he was confined to a body, just like you and me. He didn't come in spirit, he came in flesh. One place, one time, he would do ministry, he would walk along with the disciples, But here's what happens with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not confined to the flesh, to one body. The Holy Spirit, omnipresent, which is amazing, meaning that as the helper is sent, he's not just going to come to one of us at one time and then to another of us at another time, but the Holy Spirit will be in all believers at all times, which is phenomenal and is absolutely to our advantage because it means that we literally get God with us every one of us that have a relationship with Christ. You see, this is very different than in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would come for a time to a king or or to a person. Now, because of where Jesus is going and because of what he's done, the Holy Spirit comes to all believers. So it's to our advantage. This helper will come. Helper, an important word here. We need to look at it because it means, guess what? That you and I are in need of help. That we don't have it all together that we need more than simply what we can do. We need this helper to come, to not only live among us, but live within us. And so as Jesus goes on here and he says, when he comes, so as the helper comes, as I send him, here's what he's going to do. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. So this word word convicting, essentially what Jesus is saying, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is convicting the world, showing the world, opening up the eyes of people to be able to see clearly what? To be able to see their personal sin that they aren't perfect, that we don't have it all together, that we are very flawed, and that we have to own that weight. So to understand that there's an issue in our hearts, that our hearts are broken, that we do things we shouldn't do. And so to be able to see that and understand that, because if we don't see that and understand that, and we don't see the need, 
for a savior, then how can we come to Christ? We, we would never. And so in, in one sense, in a very real sense, the Holy Spirit essentially opens up the eyes of those in the world to see their true state and their true self without Christ, to understand that Jesus is Lord concerning his righteousness because he goes to the Father. So to see our sin, to see Jesus as he is, the Son of God, sent from the Father, created per, uh, absolutely perfect, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, the sin that we have realized, and judgment, understanding that the ruler of this world, meaning Satan, has been judged, and that our hope is not in him or anything else, but it's in Christ. And so the Holy Spirit, one of the big roles is that he literally opens up our eyes. He makes it possible for us to have a relationship with Jesus. If you have a relationship in here with Christ this morning, one, we should be incredibly grateful for that because it's not something we deserved. Two, it is not because you worked hard enough and Jesus took notice. It is not because you got your act together and Jesus said, yeah, I guess I'll bring you into my family. It's not because you came here today. It's not because you did all these good works this week. It's not because you served 15 hours, you did X, Y, and Z, or somebody would call you a good person. The only reason that you have a relationship with Jesus this morning, the reality is the Holy Spirit is the one who opened your eyes to make that possible. You just didn't stumble upon Jesus and said, I think I'll believe today. It was the Holy Spirit opening our eyes. And so the Holy Spirit is living and active in our world right now, as he has been, opening up eyes, which is fantastic. So Jesus says, this is one thing that he will come to do. And then Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He knows that the disciples, they're having a hard time with this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit, for us, for Christians, for the church, his role, what he does is he guides us in all all truth. He is our helper within us, with us, guiding us in all truth, and we believe that all truth is God's truth. And so what, what kind of truth does he guide us in? Well, he guides us in truth about who we are, our real identity, that if we have a relationship with Christ, we're no longer our past, we're no longer what we did A year ago, we're no longer what happened to us, but if we have a relationship with Christ, we've been given a new name, son or daughter. He reminds us of who we are, that truth that Christ has spoken. He reminds us or he guides us in truth in the midst of lies. There are all sorts of lies coming at you every single day, lies about what you should believe, lies about who you should be, lies that say, do more, be more, accomplish more. This is the way to power. This is the way to prestige. This is the way to the happy life, the American dream. Or here's this religion. Would you like to taste in this one? Or here's this God over here. Or can I offer you this idol, what the Holy Spirit does within us, because God loves us so much, is in the midst of all of these lies swirling around us every day about who we are, about what we should believe, the Holy Spirit cuts through and he constantly reminds us of the true and living God. And he says, no, 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 these are lies. I'm going to give you discernment here. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's not what God wants for you. That doesn't define you. He leads us in all truth about who we are. He leads us in all truth amidst lies. He leads us in truth about who God is and his love for us. 
And this is critically important because there will be times in our life and there will be circumstances in our life where we don't understand what God is doing. We don't see his love as clearly as we might in really good seasons. And we are hanging on by a thread and it's very challenging. And the Holy Spirit in his love for you in those moments when you're like, why in the world do I still believe? How do I still believe the Holy Spirit within you keeping you? That it's not your ability to white knuckle and still believe. It's, it's, it's me still believing. No, 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 no. It's the Holy Spirit keeping you. Reminding you that even though you may not be able to see it in the way that you wish you could see it today. Reminding you that even though you may not know the plan. Reminding you that, that even though the past may be rough. Reminding you that God loves you and that he is good. Even when you can't see it. Even when it doesn't look like that. Or, or you can't, in our finite minds, make sense of it. That, that he still is. He, he reminds us of that love. He reminds us that we're not alone. He reminds us in the midst of fears and doubts. I love this. In 1 John 4, 4, the one that is in you is greater than the one in the world. So when we have fears and when we have doubts, we can say, you know what? I've got the Holy Spirit. I've got God within me. And so in the midst of fears and doubts, we're reminded of the truth. For Christians, the Holy Spirit's role is different. We talk about the conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? You heard that. Maybe you used that. I feel the Holy Spirit convicting me. It's important that we define this correctly because the Holy Spirit does not convict us in the same way that the Holy Spirit convicts the world because we've been forgiven in Christ. So there's no longer a penalty for our sin that we have to pay. Christ has already paid it. So if you're going to use the word conviction when it comes to the Holy Spirit, make sure to define it correctly. Otherwise, you'll, you'll unintentionally bring condemnation upon yourself, condemnation that's not there. The Holy Spirit gives us convictions, convictions, resolve. The Holy Spirit grounds us in the truth to stay standing, to stand firm, reminding us of who we now are in Christ, guiding us in all of this truth. And when we go off to the side and we veer off, reminding us of our true identity, that's who you were, that's not who you are. This is who you are now, walk in newness of life in Christ. So Jesus says, I, I, I have many things to say to you, but when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you in, in all of this truth. And so how, how, does the, how does the Holy Spirit guide us in, in all truth? How does he do this? Well, he, he roots us in, in faith in God's word. He also... Um, guides us through other Christians because other Christians, the people around you, this is also a reason why you need the church. You need other believers in your life because they have the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes, God will use the people around you who are believers, who are Christians, to guide you in truth, to remind you of truth, to remind you of who you are, who God is, that you're not alone. Through prayer, what I love about that is, is our opportunity to connect with God in prayers, even when we don't know what to pray, even when we're at a loss for words. What I love the Bible says is that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf, even when we don't know what to pray. This helper that would speak to the Father, that would speak to the Son on our behalf because he's with us, because he loves us. And the Holy Spirit also guides us personally and supernaturally. And how does he do this? And here's what's so important, this word, by empowering us. By empowering us with the ability to follow, by giving us the fruits of the Spirit, by gifting us in unique ways, 
by empowering us because it is impossible to love in the way that God would have us love without the power of the Holy Spirit within us. It is impossible to forgive in the way that God would have us forgive without the power of the Holy Spirit within us. It is impossible to serve others in the way that God would have us serve others, even on a Sunday morning, even as you greet people, even as you're in kidsmen, even as you're up here, because without the Holy Spirit, it would only be in our power, and that doesn't go very far. But it would just be all us, and we would try to take credit for it, and, and, and that's not what God wants. And so it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to do any of these things is the way that, is in the way that God would intend. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit in amazing ways. And not to just sit and do, and do nothing, but to have this intimate relationship with God and others and for an incredible purpose. He has empowered us. I love this, that he empowers us to be gentle and kind and stay humble. He empowers us not to be controlled by our sin, but to to be able to resist sin, to be able to repent when we sin, to have faith even when we can't see what's ahead, to keep pressing forward even when what's behind us looks like an absolute train wreck, to believe that God is able to do what others say is impossible. This is the supernatural part of the Holy Spirit, which freaks a lot of us out, but is absolutely true, that the Holy Spirit is able to work in ways that just don't make sense. He doesn't have to work within the confines of what we can do as humans. The Holy Spirit is able to move in ways that others would say impossible. You've probably heard stories. You've seen the Holy Spirit do this. It's phenomenal. I've seen people who have had sicknesses and illnesses prayed for, and it doesn't make sense to the doctors, but all of a sudden they're not sick anymore. How does that make sense? The Holy Spirit is able to move in such miraculous ways. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. He builds our faith in working in ways that we can't explain. He brings healing when others say there's no hope. He enables to love when others would walk away. He restores relationships and marriages that everybody else discounted and said there's no way they stay together. And a year later, the relationship's stronger than it's ever been. That's only the Holy Spirit's movement that can do things like this, that turns even the hardest heart of stone to a heart of flesh and brings the most wayward child back home. Miracles absolutely exist. Your salvation is proof of it. It's Jesus' greatest miracle. He brought dead people back to life. He's empowered us. And so I've been asking myself this week, if the Holy Spirit has such an important role in my life and in in the world around me and in those around me, why don't I acknowledge him often in the same way that I do Jesus or God the Father? Why don't I tend to talk to the Holy Spirit as much? Why don't I tend to go through my day-to-day and recognize the Holy Spirit as much? I I think this will make sense here. It it says in in the rest of 13, for he will not speak on his own authority. So the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. I, I think we can struggle with the idea of the Holy Spirit being as good as Jesus in the flesh or as good as the Father. Uh, I think one of the reasons that this happens is because we can relate with the Father. We, we've had fathers. We've, we've had mothers. We, we can relate there, and we can relate with the Son, Jesus, in the flesh, but when it comes to the Spirit, it's a little bit different. We, don't, we can't literally put flesh on the Spirit. I mean, as a kid, this freaked me out because sometimes you'll hear the Holy Spirit referred to as the Holy Ghost. And I was like, oh, ugh. I don't know if I want this relationship. I grew up watching way too many horror films at way too young of an age. And, and I saw ghosts and weird stuff. And it was like, oh, the Holy Ghost. 
I might just want to hang out with dad and the brother. <laughs> I don't know about <clears throat> hanging out with the spirit. <clears throat> but I think that there can be that disconnect. Uh, he, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in these, in these two verses, the last two verses, he, the word he, uh, do you know how many times it's been used? It's been used seven times. Seven times, which is pretty important. Just because the Holy Spirit is disconnected from the flesh, we have to make sure that we do not disconnect the Holy Spirit from being personable. Every piece of God is relational. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is no less relational than the Father or the Son. And when you start to think about this and you start to think about the Holy Spirit as a he, as a person, for me this week there was a heavy weight because it really did. It kind of broke my heart in a lot of ways, the, the times that I've just looked past you. I had to repent of, of all of these things. I was like, man, the times when I haven't, haven't realized that I've grieved you. The Bible says the Holy Spirit can be grieved, that the Holy Spirit has emotions, that the Holy Spirit can be ignored, taken for granted, that often we can use the Holy Spirit only as a last resort. I don't know where else to go. Holy Spirit, would you please do something? But for all the other times we don't acknowledge, we kind of, we kind of are just like, well, thank you, Jesus, but eh, Holy Spirit. And sometimes we wonder why, why God can feel so distant or why our relationship with him can be so dry. And I'm not saying this is true in, in, in every time and in, in, every, in every time this happens, but I think many times it can be because we haven't acknowledged or recognized or invited in the God that's within us that we're talking to the Father and we're talking to the Son, but, but we've sort of bypassed the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. That we haven't really looked to the Spirit to lead us, to guide us. That we haven't really been willing to follow. That He's the forgotten God. I mean, that's how many will talk about Him, especially in churches like ours. The Holy Spirit, in a lot of ways, has been the forgotten God. We talk a lot about the Father and a lot about the Son, but the Spirit oftentimes can get left out, and that's a travesty. And that's dishonoring to God. And so we need to remember, we need to make sure that we don't make the Holy Spirit unpersonable because he, he absolutely is. He's, he's a personal God that wants to know you and be ease with you. He's your biggest encourager. He's never going to lead you off a cliff. He's only going to lead you to safety. He's your biggest cheerleader in a sense. You're loved. You're loved. You're loved. That's what he's telling you every day. You're loved, you're cared for, you're clean, you've got grace, you're forgiven, you're righteous in Christ. Isn't that great? He is your encourager. He's the one that when all the chips seem down and out, he's saying, no, 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 no. God loves you. God cares about you. God has a plan. Lift up your head. The Holy Spirit within you. Whatever he hears, whatever he hears, well, he works through the disciples and the apostles, apostles to pen the New Testament, which is fantastic. So Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to come and whatever he hears, he's not going to speak on his own authority but on mine, and he's going to give you words, and he's going to say things to you and guide you in all truth. And if you look at what the apostles and the disciples pin in the New Testament, here's what it is. It's, it's a testament of grace. What we hear time and time again is grace, that you've been saved by grace, that God has grace upon grace for you, that because of his grace, your sin is separated as far as the east is from the west. That even when we fall short, we have a mediator in heaven, Jesus, who is standing on our behalf, grace. That you're not defined by your past, grace. That the prostitute, she's not stoned, but she's offered grace. 
Grace upon grace upon grace is what you hear. And so what the Holy Spirit communicates to us is only what he hears from Jesus. And so what he communicates to us is this, over and over and over again, if we'll hear him and listen, that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you are clean, and that you are free to stand in your new identity. This is what the Holy Spirit hears from the Father and the Son and communicates to you. Not condemnation, but freedom in Christ. Forgiveness in Christ grace in Christ. It says he will not speak on his own authority. Sometimes I think that we can misplace him not speaking on his own authority. We can confuse that with the Holy Spirit not having as much authority, and that's absolutely untrue. A couple weeks ago, I was at the um, state fair with the Earlies and their kids, who are awesome, and um, Jude won a purple dragon. It was great. Um, We were at the state fair, had never been. I'd like to say it was unbelievable. It's a state fair. And uh, we, we waited in line, Jana and myself and Laura and, and Tova, could, to ride this wooden roller coaster that I was getting less and less confident in as we got closer to the ride. Because for some reason in the line, they show you this, this um, board off to the side that says that half of the coaster burnt down like in the 70s. And it was like, I don't know if you guys should have rebuilt this or not. <laughs> this thing doesn't look safe. And, and we got on and uh, we rode that coaster and we made it. And immediately as I got on, I knew it was a horrible idea. Um, but we rode. And as I was thinking about this, and one of the reasons that I think we we can get a little bit disconnected from the Holy Spirit. I think theologically we can. I, if you're riding a roller coaster, there are really three types of riders. There, there's riders like myself who are clenched fists and are not letting go of anything around them. I am incredibly scared of falling and dying. And um, clenched fist riders, right? And then there are reckless riders. And you've seen these. Like eight, like five chili dogs before they got on. Arms flailing, hitting people around them possibly throwing up, reckless riders, just insane, shouldn't be on the ride, right? And then there's riders like Tova on the ride, just hands up, a smile, enjoying the ride. Not me, clenched fists. Tova, enjoying the ride. Totally cool. Just along for the ride. Free, right? Theologically, I think that we can often go to a place where where we can be very clenched fists, about the Holy Spirit. Very uncertain. If there are things that we can't explain, if if, if the idea that the Holy Spirit moves in ways that we can't explain, or the empowerment, I think we can become very clenched fists, and we can be scared to really release our hands. And so we're good with the Father, and we're good with the Son, but but we're only nominally good with the Holy Spirit, and, and we really try to limit what the Holy Spirit does sometimes believing, well, the Holy Spirit's not as active as he was in, in, in the New Testament and Old Testament and miracles and all those things and healings. Like, let's put those off and gifting. Like, let's, let's try to limit his role. And so we're very clenched fists. And I think that that happens because on the other side, in recklessness, people have used and abused the Holy Spirit to get what they want, to manipulate, and to wreck the church. Well, I think we should do this, and I think we should spend this money, and we should go here, and well, the Spirit told me. And the Holy Spirit can be used and abused, false healings, all kinds of craziness, simply for someone to gain their own approval, their own platform, all that junk, and the Holy Spirit's used and abused, and we see that all the time. And so I, I think when we look over and we see that recklessness with the Holy Spirit, it, it causes us to be more clenched fists when really we need, we need to be the ones that are, 
are seeing the Holy Spirit is absolutely moving and active, and it's necessary that the Holy Spirit is moving and active, and if he's not moving and active, we have no reason to be here this morning, and we should have our hands up knowing that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a sign of our freedom in Christ, and ecstatic that the Holy Spirit is taking off blinders from the world so that more people can enter into the family of Christ. We want the Holy Spirit to move. If you're sick in here, I pray the Holy Spirit moves and heals you. But we're like, "Eh, really? Yes, we want that. We want to see people come to Jesus. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. There is no gospel without the Holy Spirit. And you might say, whoa, whoa, thought we were Christ-centered, gospel-centered. We absolutely are, but without the Holy Spirit, there is no gospel because no one's eyes are open and we're all condemned. This makes sense here. It says in this last verse, hear this, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Gospel-centered has unfortunately often become Jesus only, and it couldn't be further from the truth. Even Jesus said throughout his ministry that he came to fulfill the will of the Father, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when it comes to the gospel and the work of salvation, the Father makes this plan. Jesus comes and he fulfills it, and the Holy Spirit enables us to accept it, live in us, and then sends us out to share it. There is no gospel without the Holy Spirit. There is no gospel without the Father. There is no gospel without Jesus. But it is incredibly important that we don't minimize any aspect of the Trinity and that we welcome all of it. We need the Holy Spirit to move. We need the Holy Spirit to be active. And he does point to Jesus. It says, he will glorify me. And when is Christ most glorified? Well, when his mission is accomplished. And in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul states it very clearly. Jesus came to save sinners. His mission is redemption. That is when the Holy Spirit is most glorified. The Holy Spirit is glorified when he guides you in truth, when he comes into your life, when you receive Christ and you become a disciple and you live a life that is not just for yourself, but for those around you, for your family, for your kids, but also for your neighbors and your coworkers, that you live in such a way where the thing at night that keeps you up the most would be their souls, that they would meet Jesus, that they would have the Holy Spirit, that they would make more disciples. This is what we should desire, but it requires our reliance and our recognition of the Holy Spirit, his power, authority, and movement. And as Martin Lloyd-Jones says here, how much do we hear about the Holy Spirit and his authority? If I were to offer an opinion, I would say that no aspect of the Christian faith has been so totally neglected and perhaps misunderstood. Here, I truly believe we are dealing with the main source of weakness in modern-day evangelicalism. The Holy Spirit empowers the mission of Jesus to go forward. It's like having a car without gas in it. It's not moving. The mission, Jesus' plan of redemption, only moves forward with the power empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And it says, and you notice this in the, in the verse prior, it said, he will declare to you the things that are to come. What Jesus was desperate for his disciples to understand is that having the Holy Spirit would be an amazing gift to them. Not just a replacement, not a consolation prize, but God with you. 
That's what the Holy Spirit is, God with you. That Jesus is just hours away from going to the cross and laying down his life, giving up his life for us. And he tells the disciples, it is good that I go. One, it's good that I go because if I don't go, there won't be this opportunity for redemption. I'm the Messiah that was sent that the Old Testament talked about and I've come and I'm going to lay down my life so that you can have hope in me. And as Jesus goes and he does lay down his life and he fulfills the will of the Father, but Jesus in dying, even in breathing his last, even in committing his spirit, as he dies, he doesn't stay dead. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why it's a great day of celebration. That's why we celebrate that every single week because Jesus overcomes sin and death because the uh, judge of this world is judged. The ruler of this world is judged. Satan is judged as Jesus overcomes because the grave could not hold him and he's raised from the grave. And the Holy Spirit then glorifies Jesus by taking his life and his payment for our sin where we fell short and we fall short and declares to our hearts this good news of grace and freedom. And what's amazing is that as Corinthians says, 2 Corinthians 1.22, and he who has also been put his, he has also put his seal on us, giving us his spirit in our hearts is a guarantee that the Holy Spirit is a first installment of what's to come. He is the guarantee. He has sealed you. This is such a great promise that God will never lose you. In Christ, you've been sealed for eternity, for the hope that's to come. Just as Jesus heading to the cross saw the hope that was to come, we need to have bigger eyes to see the hope that is to come. And the Holy Spirit is guiding us in that. All truth, so that when we have our hardest days, we can still look up to the hope that's to come, that a day when everything is made right in Christ. And so when Jesus, just as the Father sends the Son, when Jesus sends the Spirit, God gives us God, which is the gospel, to guide us in truth and empower us in our relationships, to give us new desires, to show us how to love, how to forgive, how to be generous, if we'll listen, if we'll acknowledge him. And that can really be our biggest issue is authority. We still want to have it, and we don't want to give it up. And a culture that says reliance can be your biggest weakness, Jesus says it's the only way. It's the only way. And as we're going to hear about next week as Alex comes and preaches the Holy Spirit sending the church, that's the only way. It's the only way forward for us as a church, that we would welcome the Holy Spirit to come that we would welcome the Holy Spirit to lead, that we would welcome the Holy Spirit to convict in a way that brings many to know Jesus. It's the strongest move that we can make. I want to invite Michael up as he leads us. And as he comes, there are two sides of this coin. He will declare the things that are to come. On the one side, for those of us who have a relationship with Christ, that's fantastic news and should bring about great joy. That even on our worst day, we still have the hope of eternity with Christ. Even on our worst day, we get Jesus. On our best day, we get Jesus. What joy, what freedom, that we don't have to live in fear, but we can live in hope. That our doubts won't consume us, but Jesus will keep us as the Holy Spirit keeps us. But what about those who haven't placed their faith in Christ? You see, the Holy Spirit will also place in our hearts, and he will guide us, and he will tell us about the truths to come, not just for us, but for our neighbors, if they never have a relationship with Jesus. What's to come? 
that for every single person, we will eventually breathe our last breath on this earth and there will be an eternity for us. And, And the reality is that's either with Christ or that's completely separated from God. And so on one hand, we should have great joy in hearing what's to come for us, but we should also have great urgency for those around us who don't yet know Jesus. And the Holy Spirit moves within our hearts to create this love that only the Holy Spirit can do for our neighbors, for our coworkers, to believe in ways that we can only believe through the power of the Holy Spirit to pray that hearts would be open, to pray for the words to share, that we would go to the Holy Spirit as as we should. Holy Spirit, would you open up hearts? Would you open up eyes? Would you open up opportunities? As the disciples prayed for, would you give me boldness to share, to speak when those opportunities come? And the question for us today, one of those absolutely is, is, is are we recognizing and are we relying on the Holy Spirit who's been placed within us, that he wouldn't be a forgotten God, but that we would go to him, allow him to lead us and guide us in all truth, Reminding us of who we are, who God is. Reminding us of where our hope is found. Reminding us that our past doesn't define us. But also another question is, do we really believe? Do we really believe that the Holy Spirit is is living and active and moving in our city? And in what way do we believe? Do we believe that the Holy Spirit can reveal Jesus to our neighbors? Do we believe that the Holy Spirit can reveal Jesus to our coworkers, to our family members, to the other parents at a soccer game, to the people that we pass by on the street, to the barista that we encounter tomorrow, to the babysitter, to the mom with the children at home, to the CEO, do we believe? Do we believe in such a way that our faith would be pushed forward to where we would pray for these things? Believing that the Holy Spirit is able to save neighborhoods and households. Believing that the Holy Spirit is able to create a movement in our city toward Jesus, not toward more lies, not toward more seeking self, but toward seeking Christ. Would we believe these things and would we live in such a way and pray in such a way that it shows this? There's no doubt that Jesus wants to use us. He's sending us as a church just as he sent his disciples. So where do we need to invite the Holy Spirit to lead in our lives? Where do we need to welcome him in? Where do we need to hand him authority? And this, who do we need to pray for? Who do we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would convict and move and save? And so as Michael prays right here, I think it's important, especially as we go to next week and we hear about the Holy Spirit sending the church, just want to take a minute, let's just lift up some names. Who do we need to pray for today as a church? Who are we praying that the Holy Spirit saves? And would we pray not doubting, but believing, Holy Spirit, I believe you will save this person. Maybe today, maybe this week, maybe in a year, but Holy Spirit, I'm lifting this up to you laying doubt aside, believing that you are powerful enough and that Jesus, there's nothing more that you want to see than sinners saved. And so let's do it. Lift up some names. Let's take a minute. God, we pray for our city. We pray for our neighborhoods. We pray for all of these names lifted. We pray that you would move powerfully in the hearts of many. We pray that you would save 
today. We pray that if anyone's in here that doesn't yet know you, Jesus, that Holy Spirit, you would move and save, that you would get all glory for that, Jesus, that you would do a work that only you can do, that you would invite more into the family and that we would rejoice in in knowing that one day soon there is a big family reunion coming where we're face to face with you, Jesus, where we're sitting with you, Father, where we're in your presence, Holy Spirit. And so we pray, we pray that you would take these prayers and you would move powerfully. We pray that we would be a people of faith. We pray that we would rely on you as you speak, as you lead, as you move, glorifying Jesus. We pray that you would do what only you can do. And for us, church, the good news this morning is that God is with you. He will not leave you. He will not abandon you. He loves you. He cares for you as you are right now. As Christ has given his life for you, Jesus has sent the Spirit to indwell in you. You are sealed for eternity. You have hope in eternity. We worship not as those condemned. We worship as those filled with hope, filled with real living hope as the church, as the people, always loved, always cared for. We have a helper. We have someone to guide us in all truth toward Jesus and to send us out to welcome new family members in.